Good morning, everybody. We are starting a new series today. Hopefully you guys had seen that on social media and whatnot, and um, I'm, I want to dive right in, honestly. But before I do that, I just want to make one quick announcement. If you have let us know that you are coming to our Welcome to the Family dinner tonight, then it's happening tonight. Reminder, if you didn't have a chance to say you wanted to come and you want to come, let me know afterwards. Again, this night is really designed for those of you guys that have been coming in recent weeks, and um, we're going to be talking a little bit about the church and how we're structured and, um, and kind of how you can be involved and what it looks like to call Bethel OKC home. And so if you've got questions about particular things, tonight's a great night to ask those too. So come ready for that. We've got dinner planned and it's going to be here. It's going to be awesome. So I came this morning with a seed in my heart to sow into your heart. And I was reminded of this principle this week, and it's this, that I'm actually not responsible for your soil. I'm responsible to bring you a good seed. I'm responsible to have something to sow into your life, but I'm not actually responsible for what you do with it, right? That's on you. And if you didn't know that, surprise, it's on you. And this is how God designs it, that we follow after him. And so I came this morning with something to sow into your heart and into the soil of your heart, and, um, and I'm excited about that. And my hope and my... my um, I mean, expectation is too big of a word for it, but my hope is that you would grab it and you would do something with it. And, you know, you guys, if you were here on Vision Sunday, I shared with you about how we feel like 2019 for us is the year to rise up and build. And it has two components. It's you building your life with Jesus and then all of us coming together to build the kingdom together. And so what we're going to be doing in this new series, the worship series, is really one thing you can be using to build your life with God. And so we're going to be diving in and exploring worship from a bunch of different ways. So today is all about defining worship, but I'm just going to give you a heads up. We are not going to have a one-sentence simplistic answer for you. Worship is much too complicated for that. We plan today to explore a bunch of different aspects of worship, and your definition will be ambiguous, and that's on purpose. But as we dive into what worship is today, I thought we could start by doing something I'm going to call the evolution of worship. Now, what I'm about to share with you is not a scholarly approach whatsoever. So when you're looking at it going, well, what about this and what about that? I know. I know there's no way we can cover all of how worship has evolved over time. But I did want to call out a couple of different moments in history that, is, that are significant. Because if we're being honest, what we call worship today in Christian culture is not what they called worship in Moses' time, or in the Garden of Eden, or in Abraham's time, or at different points. Let me ask you a quick question. Can you be a worshiper if you don't like Hillsong or Bethel music? Can you? Can you be a worshiper if you don't like to sing? Can you be a worshiper if you don't like to stand for any lengths of time? See, what's happened is our worship, our understanding of worship has evolved to being that thing that happens from when church starts until the message starts, and that's what we call worship. But what I want to do today for you guys is to show you how worship is so much more than that, and honestly, at some level, as much as I love worship music, in fact, it's one of my favorite things to worship, in, to worship music and to um, sing and to be a part of that and feel the presence of God in that way, sometimes... Some of that culture has almost caused us to not understand the fullness of what's been um, made available to us. So let me reiterate this for you. So we're going to do the evolution of worship. In the Garden of Eden, 
Interestingly enough, when you read the story of the Garden of Eden, there's no mention of worship in there. Why? Because there was this unencumbered fellowship with God. There wasn't the, you know, Adam wasn't looking at Eve and saying, can you turn to the next song? You know, I'm, I'm done with that one. I've, it's played out. Can, you, can, we, can we make a new playlist? You know, no. Worship to them was the, the presence of God, being with God, walking with him in the garden. It was fellowship. And then we know that the fall happened, sin came into the world, and everything changed at that point. And so what I want to do is I want to pick up the story of the evolution of worship when we come to Moses, okay? So a lot of time has passed from sin entering the world and Moses. But worship changed. Our understanding of worship and how the people of God worshiped changed with Moses, and it was his relationship with God that drew something into their reality. It was, God, it was Moses' relationship with God that brought the ability to feel the tangible presence, to see the manifestation presence, come on a regular basis. It's interesting if you think about Moses' story coming out of Egypt, where Egypt was sort of the height of um, pagan worship or demonic god worship, right? And there was lots of worship happening all the time in Egyptian culture at that point. And so what Moses, what God used Moses to do was sort of begin to define what is worship as the people of God? What does that really look like? What are the do's and don'ts? If you've ever read the book of Leviticus, the whole book of Leviticus pretty much is the do's and don'ts of how to worship God. You can't wear this. You can only wear that. You can't do this. You can't eat this. You can't, you know, there's a whole bunch of hoops you have to jump through. And what God did from Moses until David was he defined, here's what you need to do to worship me. Now, here's what we have to understand. If God is God, then he gets to define what worship is and what it's not, right? It's not really our choice to say, well, I'm comfortable doing these things of worship and this stuff I'm not really comfortable with that. No, we really have to say, God, you get to define. If you're God and I'm worshiping you, then you actually get to define for me what is worship. The first couple books of the Old Testament, God is adamant about defining what is worship. For example, you could not be in the presence of God and wear wool. God didn't like wool. Some of us think, well, does God really care about what you wear? You know, he had a fashion sense. He wanted his people to wear linen when they worshiped in front of him. And here's why. And one of the reasons is because when you wear wool, sometimes you sweat. And, there, and I heard this, and, you know, I agree with this at some level, that worship, excuse me, that sweating, and so sweating in worship is almost like a sign of striving. And so God was saying, listen, if you're going to be in my presence, you have to be free to be in my presence. But here's this enormously long checklist of all these things you can do so that you can be in my presence. So when I look at the evolution of worship, I see this era that we're going to call worshiping before God. Okay? So have you heard that phrase, I'm going to worship before the throne, I'm going to worship before God? It's a phrase that's in the Bible a couple different times. And there's this idea of worshiping before God. So again, between Moses and David, God gives all of these um, explanations of how to worship before him. And then David does something that changes worship forever. And it's again, it's through his relationship with God. This is fascinating to me. I don't know if it's fascinating to you, but our relationship has the ability to pull something onto the earth, your relationship with God. And so what does David do? So David says... Out of my zeal for God, out of my love for his presence, I want worship through song and prayer to happen 24 hours a day. It's called the Tabernacle of David. He built a tent around the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of the manifestation, the manifest presence of God. And that he had song people all the time singing songs. He brought onto the earth the idea and the concept of habitual 
walking with God. Prior to that, it was a visitational thing. God shows up, the presence of God comes, we worship before him, and then the the manifest, the physical presence of God leaves to becoming again. But what David did was he created this understanding of like, like living with God constantly. Does that make sense? David was so ahead of his time. This was designed to be on the earth when Jesus fulfilled everything on the cross, which we're going to talk about in a second. But what's amazing to me is that it was from his relationship, it was from his heart for God, that he almost reached into the future and brought something to the earth. David was a musician. You probably already know this, but he played the harp. Most historians will tell you he played like four different types of harps. One of them, um, I learned this recently, had pieces of bone in it so that the harp would actually have a percussive sound to it. Others had different types of tones so that he could, he played lots of different types of music. We know he was a songwriter. That's what the book of Psalms is, or Psalms, songs that David had written. And, um, And so he used music to connect with the presence of God. Now, I don't think he was the first person to use music to connect with the presence of God. In fact, God created music to connect with him. So, you know, we're actually going to talk about the sounds of worship next week. So we're going to get way into that um, next week. But what David did was he took, if Moses changed worship like this, David changed worship again like this. And so then the worship continued to evolve until Jesus. And then when Jesus comes onto the earth... Worship becomes not so much worshiping before God, but in a sense, worshiping to God, right? Because now I can worship directly to Jesus because he is in the flesh in front of me. So Jesus, he's the game changer in our evolution. Let me put it to you this way. There is a Hebrew word. We're going to put it on the screen for you. I'm going to butcher it. It's called um, hishtahavah. That's how I'm going to say it today. It's a Hebrew word, and it means to prostrate yourself before the Lord. You can see it up here. This is what, how it reads. Now, this word is the most common word used in the Old Testament for worship. So 171 times you're going to find this word in reference to worship in the Old Testament, and it means to bow down in front of God. Okay, there's another word, a Greek word called proskuneu, and we're going to put that up on there for you. It's the same word there. It's one in Greek, one in Hebrew. And the Greek one, proskuneu, it's not used quite as many times, but again, it means to prostrate yourself before God. So in the Old Testament, the pattern that we see in worship is this idea that I come before God and I lay myself down as though to say I am completely subservient to you, God, that I am, I am acknowledging my place in the hierarchy you know, and then there's a whole bunch to it as well, but that's sort of the general idea. So then Jesus comes on the scene, and then in the New Testament, and in particular, Paul's letters to build the church and the epistles, this word hishtahavah is only used one time. That's interesting, right? 171 times in the Old Testament, and now in the New Testament, after the resurrection, it's only used one time. So something happened in Jesus' life that changed what worship is. And this is where I want us to camp for a minute. So we're going to look at two stories that are going to talk about what happened. So the first one is John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 19. Now before we start reading this, I want to give you a little background. And here's the story. This is the woman at the well. You guys are familiar with this story, right? So the woman at the well. So Jesus finds his place, uh, finds his way to a Samaritan woman who's gathering water from the well. Now if you're, under, if you're familiar with this, Jews and Samaritans, they did not intermingle. They were sort of like 
arch rivals like Hatfields and McCoys, like you just did not get them near each other at all. And so as they are, as this woman is recognizing Jesus as Jewish, now she's kind of putting her walls up. She's trying to distance herself because they're not going to interact. Not only that, but women and men did not interact. Okay, so what's about to happen is pretty revolutionary. I love how when Jesus comes on the scene, he just shakes everything up. He still does that, right? He comes on the scene and you're like, okay, we're going to do this now. That's great. And this is what he's saying to her. So he says, so the woman said to him, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Now, this is right after he just told her, you know what? You have five husbands. It's this story. You guys know this story? So she's, the woman said to him, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place where one ought to worship is in Jerusalem at the temple. Jesus replied, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So this is one of those pivotal moments, okay? He said, you Samaritans do not know what you worship. We Jews do do know what we worship for salvation is from the Jews. Then he keeps going. But a time is coming and is already here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit from the heart, the inner self, and in truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit, the source of life, of life, yet invisible to mankind, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, the anointed one. When that one comes, he will tell us everything. So pause right here. So what the woman is saying is, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> Jesus is giving something absolutely revelatory. He's reaching out into the future and he's bringing it into the earth because of this woman's relationship with Jesus because she actually brought up worship to him. They were having a conversation about her husbands and she starts to talk about worship and Jesus responds to her initiation to her relationship and he pulls something down that changes everything. Okay, so then he says, the woman said to him, "Um, I know the Messiah is coming. Okay, let's go to the next one. And so Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the weirdest phrased grammar that there is in the Bible. But Jesus looks at her and he goes, hey, the Messiah you're talking about, you're looking at him. Holler at your boy, right? Is that what you think he said? It's, I can see that happening anyway. But this is amazing. And so what's happening is the woman is starting to say, you know, we worship on this mountain, but we always hear you guys talk about how it's not real worship unless it's in the temple. Now, God had defined that real worship, the worship he received, was in the temple. So this is a pretty revolutionary moment here. God had defined, if you want to worship me, you got to do all these things. You had to be ritually clean. That mean, meant you couldn't have eaten certain types of foods. You, couldn't ha- you had to bathe in certain types of ways. You know, all these things. There were so many hoops to jump through so that you could show up at the temple and your worship be received by God. And now Jesus is telling her that's not going to matter pretty soon. And I think she's looking at him going, hmm, that makes no sense. But she receives a transformation in that moment. She actually gives her life to Jesus. She, you know, she acknowledges him as the son of God. And then she goes on and starts a revival, if you're familiar with history. She leaves that little well conversation and revolutionizes the world. And worship evolved in that moment. Let's look at one other verse. John chapter 2. Just excuse me. Um, yeah, this one is John chapter 2, 18. Go back to the 18. Okay, so this is Jesus in the temple. So they're there for Passover, okay? So what they're doing, this is when Jesus weaves the whip. He goes through and he's driving out the money changers. So this is the context of this story. So he's doing that, and they're mad at him. Can we go back one? There should be one before this. Is there not one before this? 
Okay, well, let me just tell you a little bit more of the context. So Jesus is, is saying, listen, I'm tearing this temple down. And they're saying to him, you better have a sign. You better have a sign to ha- what authority can you do this for, right? And they say, listen, it took us 46 years to build this temple. And Jesus goes, I'm tearing it down, and I'm going to rebuild it in three. I love Jesus. He's so audacious. He's such a liberator. He's such a, he stirs the pot. It's awesome. So go to the next one. Let's see. If you can, is there another one after this? It's okay if not. Okay, you can just take this down. So here's what's happening. Jesus is saying, I'm going to rebuild the temple. What's he talking about? His body, right? That in three days, I'm going to be crucified. In three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead, and I'm going to rebuild the temple. Now, here's an interesting fun fact for you. It took 46 years to build that temple of stone. You have 46 chromosomes in your DNA. Did you know that? Your body is now the temple of God. Here's what's crazy to me. So Jesus is, you know, he's doing his thing. He's poking buttons. He's, you know, shifting it up. And he is making a huge pivotal turning point of what was worship to what will be worship. What is he saying to the woman? He's saying, listen, before it mattered all of these hoops you had to jump through. Now I have fulfilled every single hoop so that you can become the temple to house my presence. So when you worship now, you're no longer worshiping before God, having to prostrate yourself outwardly. Now you're actually worshiping with God. Now, I'm not saying you are God. I'm just saying now the position that you worship from is in Christ. Okay, (laughs) let me try this again. Here's the deal. What happened in the Old Testament was God was creating a system of worship, and it was all pointing to what you get to experience now, which is that you are the temple. And the fact that you are the temple means the way you worship is different. Now, you don't have to clean up yourself outwardly. Jesus tells us this with the parable of the cup, the analogy of the cup. Listen, you know, most people clean the cup from the outside in, you know, and he's like, what we're doing is we're cleaning it from the inside out. Why? Because what, Matt, what's happening internally in you is what's happening. It is the most important thing. So how you worship, when he's talking to this woman at this well, and he's talking to her about how the, true, the Father is looking for true worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. You're worshiping in spirit because you are in his spirit now. You are one. You are united. Your physical body is the house of the presence of God. Okay, And then when you worship authentically, meaning when you are truthful about who you say God is, you're a true worshiper. It is so good. So now we don't have these hoops to jump through anymore. Now we don't have to clean ourselves up on the outward. We can actually constantly, boldly approach the throne of grace, which is what Ephesians tells us. That you can just walk in. Now, okay, let's look at another parallel of how this evolves. So Esther, she's going before the king to boldly go before the king. She has to not eat for three days. She is begging God, please don't let me die when this happens. And she has no idea what's going to happen when she flings those doors open. And what Paul is saying is, that's not you guys. You don't have to wonder. There is no question. Now you go, I want to be before God. I'm there. I don't even have to snap. We actually just already are. We are constantly with him. I remember when, uh, this was like 2000, Grant and I were talking about this yesterday. It was like 2000 and, 
uh, three, okay? And we were at a conference in Kansas City, and um, the speaker said, okay, everybody, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come, and it's going to be amazing, and everybody stand up. And he said, everybody just repeat after me, Holy Spirit, come. So I was like 20, and I, I really didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit at all, and I wasn't really sure I, I wanted to know anything about the Holy Spirit. And so I closed my eyes, you know, and I'm kind of like bracing myself because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, come. And then the speaker says, and he's here. And I was like, I feel nothing. I feel no different. I have no, and it perplexed me for like two years, guys, if I'm just being honest. Because I kept thinking, if the Holy Spirit is here, shouldn't we be able to feel him? If the Holy Spirit is here, shouldn't we be able to see him? Shouldn't there be some sort of like sign? But here's the thing. You are the sign. See, God comes in all different kinds of ways. Some we can feel, some we can't feel, but he is constantly with you if you are saved because you are now in him and he is in you. Let's look at it this way. Let's go to Romans 12.1. So Paul has a lot to say about the fact that your body is a temple, right? And so we're going to cover a couple of those today. So here's one, verse 1 and 2. So Paul is saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Go back to the first part of that. So here's what Paul is saying. This verse is in the middle of a whole long rant about sexual immorality. Okay? And what is he saying? He's saying, you guys have been told that your bodies don't matter, that you can do this or that with your bodies and it's not going to affect you. But I am telling you, what you do with your physical body affects you because your physical body is the temple of God. He actually goes so far to say that if you are sleeping with a prostitute, that you are merging the temple of God with a harlot. It's intense, guys. <laughs> It's like a lot to listen to, right? But what is he saying? He's saying, don't be conformed. Like, don't, how do I say this? He's saying, you cannot buy into the thoughts of the day. You cannot let people who don't know Jesus define for you what it means to worship God. Only God gets to be the one to bring that definition. So God created your body. He is the reason why you are here. So he gets to define how much of our body is affected by sin. I would like to define that because it would be easier, right? But we don't get that. We have to say, Lord, you get that definition. So Paul is saying, listen, your physical body matters in worship because it is now the house of the holy of holies. I, didn't, I don't have this verse for you, but I think it's Ephesians 2.22 talks about how God is making you into a vessel for his house. You are the temple and you are being made into a vessel that is worthy to hold his presence, but you're already holding his presence. This is why we can say, Holy Spirit, come. And it's even a moot point, if I can just be honest, because he's already here, because he's already with you, right? Now we want to say, Holy Spirit, come in a way I can see, <laughs> Come in a way I can feel. Come more. Come, I want more of you, right? But we, we have to understand we are already in him. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. So this is Paul again saying, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Is there another one on this one? No, I think that's both verses. Yeah, that's both verses. Okay, go back. Sorry. All right. So what is he saying? Again, your body is a temple. Again, it was a costly 
temple. 46 years it took to build that temple in Jerusalem. We've been there. We've seen the, the ruins of it. It's unbelievable. There are stones bigger than the width of my arms, and I have a really long wingspan. These stones, it's so amazing. They were chiseled in exactly the way where they would go next to each other like this, and you cannot even get a piece of paper through it, even today, guys. There are parts where it is so tightly connected because the, the mastery of God and these carpenters, where you cannot, even today, thousands of years later, uh, you can't even you know, get a piece of paper in between them. It's phenomenal. You were bought with a price. Your physical body is the house of God, and not just a byproduct of it, but this matters, guys. This is really, really important. So what you do with your body matters. It's all connected. Here's another way. You know, that's looking at sort of the negative parts of it, but let's look at the positive parts of it for a second. And I just want to just touch this, and we're going to talk about it actually a lot more in detail later. But the way you worship with your physical body matters to the Lord. God gives so many commands through scripture to kneel down, to lay down, to raise your hands, to dance, to clap. There's all these different things because when you engage your body, your body and your spirit and your soul, they come together and then you can do what Romans tells us to present ourselves before God as a living sacrifice. We have the privilege and thank you Jesus that we no longer have to sacrifice animals to get our sins taken away right? This doesn't happen anymore, and we'll probably cover this closer to Passover and Easter. We usually do every year, but what happened at Passover every year was everybody had to bring a lamb. Guys, this is a lot of sheep, okay? Everybody brings a lamb, and the lambs get their throats cut, and the blood gets splashed everywhere. Now, I've been to Jerusalem. It's not that big, okay? So if you're talking about a whole bunch of sacrificed lambs, you're talking about streets running with blood. Ain't nobody walking around without any red on them. It was everywhere. It had to have been, right? And so don't you, aren't you just so thankful you don't have to live in that? I know I am. I am so thankful that all the hoops have already been fulfilled so that you can be before the Lord. So I want to tell you um, one other verse. It's Colossians 3.17. And it's this. It says, And whatever you do, this is again Paul, he said, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if we're talking about the evolution of worship, we're talking about how worship used to be before God. And at some level, you could say it still is before God. But it was only before God. And then there was this period where Jesus was on the earth, we were worshiping to God. And now we're worshiping with God right? We've talked about this. And so in this place of worshiping with God, what worship is, is now an identity. It's now no longer an event. It's no longer just a moment, but it is your identity. And so what Paul is talking about here is he's doing what Jesus does, where, you know, the Old Testament would say, an eye for an eye, and that's, that's the law. And then Jesus comes and says, I'm going to tell you, take it up a notch, turn the other cheek, right? This is how Jesus, he, he's always raising the bar. And this is what Paul is doing. You might say, worship is only singing, but I'm telling you every single thing you do, do it to the Lord. So for me personally, this was something that I kind of came into contact with around 10 years ago. We only had one child. He was about 18 months old. And we were at a conference with some of the people from our previous church. 
And I was in the back of this um, session, and they were worshiping and singing. And I was looking at this woman who I really admired, and she had her two, two of her small kids around her, and they were playing and doing what kids do. And she was just worshiping God, and then she would look down at them and interact with them and, you know, or hush them or break up a fight or whatever, and she'd go back to worshiping. And sometimes she would just keep singing while she would attend to one of them and go back to worshiping. And I was mesmerized. I was watching her do this, and I was thinking to myself, how on earth can you do that? And so I asked her after the session, I said, listen, I've just got to ask you, how do you do that so effortlessly? How are you able to just go worshiping, to tending, to worshiping, to tending? And she looked at me and she said, Rachel, you have to understand that there's no mode, right? There's no mode where I'm not connected to the Lord. All of my life is before God in his presence. So whether I'm mothering or cooking or taking out the trash, I'm doing it all with God. And it wrecked me. And I also convicted, I mean, I condemned myself quite a bit in the middle of that conviction too, if you're familiar with that feeling where you're like, well, I don't know how to measure up to that and I don't even know what that's gonna, if I can do that. And I took that to the Lord and a few weeks later, I was still just thinking about this in my mind and I was thinking about just the picture of how effortless it was for her. Because for me at that time, when I was in mom mode, that's all I could do. Like, you know, if I was gonna try to be with God and my kid walked in the room, it was like, the Holy Spirit is no longer here. I don't know how to find you. Where are you, God? You know, because now my kid needs a Cheerio or something. You know, it's like I just couldn't do it. I had just two modes. I had God mode and then all the modes for everything else. And so I was lamenting to God. And I said, God, I don't want to be like this. I don't know what to do. And he said, okay, you do the dishes every day, right? I said, yeah, I do. I do about 15 minutes of dishes every day. And he said, okay, I want your dishes time. When you're doing dishes, I want you to find my presence. And I was like, okay, but that felt, I'm just being very honest with you guys, it felt um, like subpar. Like, Lord, isn't what you want for me to have like a candle going and, you know, Bethel music without words and my journal and my all these things and, and my undivided attention, like, isn't that what you're the most pleased with? And the Lord's like, right now what I want is something from you. And if all you have is dishes time, that's what I want. And so I said, all right, Lord. So I started practicing how to connect with God while I did the dishes. Now, if I'm just being very honest, it did not go well. The first couple of times I ended up unbelievably frustrated and mad at everybody and kind of like wanting to quit until my kids were, you know, I thought grown up a little bit more. But now that I've been a mom for 11 years, I realize it's probably forever. I'm going to always be interrupted as my identity in life. I'm just kidding. But you know, you kind of sit there and you go, all the moms with little kids, you know what I'm talking about. And so you sit there and you think, okay, so does my time with God just look different until like they graduate? Is this how this works? And the Lord's telling me, you have to practice. You have to practice finding me. You have to practice connecting with my constant presence. So I did that. And a few weeks went by and it started working, and it was actually really amazing. And so then I took from my dishes time to my laundry time. So I had dishes and laundry time connecting with the presence of God, and then it became also my driving time with the kids, and then the grocery shopping, and then all of a sudden, my life looks like I'm constantly connected to the Lord, whereas before, I could not fathom how to do that. And what I feel like the Lord wanted me to share that story with you is because we have to understand that now, because we are constantly housing the Lord, we have the opportunity to be connected to him always, but it requires a mindset shift, 
right? It, it requires you retraining your mind. So Paul is saying, listen, for you to do this well, you have to renew your mind. You have to tell yourself how you're going to be. It's not just going to happen on its own. So here's my question for you. To you, is worship an event or is it an identity? And, and you have to answer that for yourself honestly. Is it an event, something that you set aside and you say, this is what worship looks like to me? Or is it an identity where you are constantly aware of the presence of God? So for me personally, what this looks like to me is that I like to look at my life with God as um, like I don't surf, I never will surf because I don't swim very well, but I like to picture my relationship with God like surfing, where there's waves that come in and I ride whatever wave the Lord is bringing into my life. So there are waves of worship music. And there are waves where like a, an album will just take my breath away and the second I start hearing it, I am just undone in the presence of God, crying, connecting with God, having revelation, whatever. And then it's like that wave begins to crest and then all the swell goes back out to the, to the, you know, the deep part of the ocean and I have to figure out what's the new wave you're bringing. And sometimes, so, you know, I might be all about worship music for like a good three or four weeks, and the only thing I do is listen to worship music, and it's just how I connect with God, and then that wave begins to crest, and then, then I have to go, okay, what's the next one? And sometimes it'll be journaling, and man, the presence of God will be on journaling, and journaling becomes my worship. And then that one will quest, quest, crest, and then I'll have to go, what's the next one, Lord? Sometimes it's, it's reading a specific book or dancing or praying or you see what I'm saying? And so when our life is about an identity of being a worshiper before God, then it's not so much about the music or the moment between when you get to church and the preaching happens, but it's about, Lord, how do I connect in your presence? How do I accept and, and acknowledge there are no more hoops for me to jump through, that I can boldly approach you whenever and wherever? And so that's my heart for you guys today as we're talking about what is worship. What is worship? Is It's that place of devotion. It's that place of, of understanding your place in the hierarchy of life. That God, you are God. You are supreme. You get to be Lord. You get to call the shots in my life. Sometimes worship looks like proskuneo. It looks like laying down before in surrender. Here's something else Jesus was telling this Samaritan woman. He was saying, you're going to worship internally in you, right? And so Old Testament worship looks like bowing down outwardly before God. New Testament worship and, and New Covenant worship, rather, looks like bowing down inwardly. It's saying yes to the Lord in places that people don't see. It's in the thoughts that you take captive. It's in the way that you make a stand for God internally in your own heart, resisting temptations, saying no to the ways of the world, renewing your mind, all of those kinds of things. That's what he's talking about. It's going to happen inside of your heart. So there's still a bowing down, but it's a bowing down of surrender. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. So this Friday night, we're doing a worship night. And we're providing a space for you guys to come and to connect with God in an out-of-the-box way. Because the reality is that for all of us, as we're in our own evolution of worship, like for yourself, as you're growing with God and worship is changing what it means, sometimes you have to try new things. For some of you guys, it might be that you need to try worshiping while you do the dishes. It might be that simple, right? That was really profound for me. So if it feels profound for you, you're in good company. 
For some of you, it might be, you know, I need to try an artistic expression to worship. I need to try whatever. So we are creating a space on Friday night for you guys to come here and to, and to do that. We're not going to be preaching. It's not going to be like a formal service necessarily. We will start it, and then we'll let you guys connect with God. Because what we feel like the Lord has told us is that we need to create opportunities for you guys to develop um, yourselves in the Lord. As you're rising up to do something different, as you're building your life with God, there has to be opportunities for that, right? And so this is an announcement, a plug, and also just an encouragement to come on Friday night and to explore what worship looks like for you and to do something different than you've done before. Yes, you're all so excited. Some of you guys are like, this feels really uncomfortable for me, and that's cool. It, uncomfortable is good sometimes. So again, here's my question for you. For you, is worship an event, or is it an identity? And so what I'm going to do is Michelle's going to come up, and she's going to play just for a couple minutes. And here's, here's where I feel like the Lord wants us to land today. What is the one thing you can do to worship just a little bit more freely? What's the one thing you can do? And so I just, we're going to, as she plays, we're just going to ask the Lord. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you. He's already here, so we don't need him to come. But I'm going to ask him to come and speak to you. And I would just ask you, Lord, search my heart. What's the one thing, God, that I can do to take a step farther, closer to you, a step farther into your kingdom, a step farther into understanding and revelation, so that I can be, um, so I can build the worship area of my life. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you. And Jesus, I just want to say just because we're on the topic, we just want to thank you for fulfilling every hoop and every checklist and everything that had to be done so that we could be in your presence. Lord, we want to thank you that we now have this opportunity to just be habitually in your presence and that it's happening whether we're aware of it or not. So Lord, today I'm asking for eyes to be opened, for awareness to be, um, to be caught and understood for where you're moving in our life. And Lord, lastly, I'm just asking that you would put it on our hearts. What's one thing we can do to grow our worship of you, to grow our understanding of worship in you? So Lord, come and speak to us in Jesus' name.